0: This is the Gary Vee Audio Experience. Cause we're gonna be legends. Thank you. Got to take this shit off. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks for being here. You guys having a good time so far? Yes. Yeah. Good, awesome. Okay, I don't think I need this. You guys can hear me? You guys can hear me back yeah. there? Right? Awesome. Well, first of all, thanks for coming. Uh, actually, let me tell you the story. Let me go a couple places. So. Let me tell you the story of, uh, of this event. Uh, in 2001, uh, I'd been kind of operating and been in the game now in the business for about three full years and there was a couple of wine tastings going on in the state, the laws had changed and allowed us to do these kind of events without oh, charity. Liquor laws are very difficult, so many laws can't do a lot of things and I thought it was our time to jump into the foray of this. And so I started uh, kind of like strategizing it in the summer of in the late spring, summer of 2001. Uh, Brandon Warnicki, who some of you know, and Bobby uh, Schifrin, uh, my cousin also both, uh, who I was just both talking to outside, who are main cogs in this business besides me and my dad, uh, I decided to send them on a trip to Spain to taste wine. Much to the chagrin of my dad who said, you can't send the two most important people on a trip together and I said to my dad, you know, it's fine, I've got this for a week, let them enjoy before the big tasting. You know, as some of you know, I've got high energy, so not only did I decide to do our first ever tasting this event uh, uh, then, but I also decided to launch our first catalog, even though we were doing the e-com thing, I was doing our first catalog. So it was a very, very, very busy uh, summer and spring that year. Uh, The fall came around, they went on their trip, and I'll never forget, Like it was actually pretty tough, even though I was, the business was growing so quickly that you know everybody came back from the summer, that fall was super busy, plus the catalog, plus this tasting. So like, even for me, who can like, go 24 hours a day and do everything, I was like, shit, I can't wait till they get back, right? So I'll never forget it. It was uh, the Jets' first game of the season, Sunday morning. It was Herman Edwards' first game as the coach. and, uh, and uh, I was getting ready to leave the house, this is back when you still had a home phone, and the phone rings just, I mean literally, I had my hand on the knob, I'm leaving, the phone rings, nobody really calls me at my house, so I decided to pick it up, and it's Brandon telling me that they missed their flight, that they won't be home, because Bobby got kidney stones, and he's in the hospital in Paris. So I'm like, fuck, you know, and then the Jets got completely fucking dismantled. So I'm in a really shitty mood on Monday and I get there on Monday, catching up with Brandon, blah, 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 blah. And then uh, I think it was the next day, they're flying, I get a, uh, next day was 9-11. And uh, I get a crazy call, I get a call from Brandon, for some of the old timers in this room, remember when there was phones in the planes? And so he called from the air, Brandon, at 9:09 in the morning, and said great news, we're coming home, and I said to him, I'm not sure, there's something weird going on. None of the towers had fallen yet, but I knew the second plane had hit and so it was weird. And, I, and so he hung up the phone, rang thing, asked the uh, airline stewardess if everything was okay. She said, yeah, fine. She came running back five minutes later, saying what do you know, why, it was super weird. Anyway, long story short, they landed in Canada, they were there for another four days. They didn't get back until like September 17th. <laughs> This tasting was on this day in 9-11, so I guess five weeks after, right around the time where there was even some level of conversation of maybe debating get back to normalcy. I know a lot of you traveled to be here, but for this area, it was hardcore. And uh, it was just super interesting because I remember my dad, it was a very special night because it helped a lot of people as one little tiny piece of getting back to like a fun night and normalcy, and so this place, This place, this building, this event holds a very near and dear place in my heart. But what I remember more than anything was my dad pulling up. At this point, I was really operating, didn't really, you know, and he pulled up and it was so packed here and there was so much going on. And I remember he looked at me and he goes, what other event is going on here? And I said to him, no, no, this is our entire event. And he was so pumped, so proud. And it's just a feeling I've never, forgotten, and and very much the reason I think I did tonight is, you know, I'm sure a lot of you have noticed over the last two months, you know, nothing matters to me more than my family, and it's been a lot of fun, kind of like, getting involved with Wine Library a little bit, and, you know, starting the wine club, which, how many people by show of hands in the wine club? How many not? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> the honesty is amazing. <laughs> it fucking hurt, but it's amazing. Uh, work in progress. But anyway, I, uh, I feel like tonight's uh, this and hopefully it'll be cool for you guys to say it one day. If it continues to evolve, I'm excited to kind of almost start the next chapter of this event. To, you know, It's fun that the Yankees are back in the playoffs because that was a mainstream in the early 2000s on this event. There was always a debate of like how the Yankees are doing. Will they play on the night of the tasting? Uh, and, uh, and I really would like to do this specific event going forward. You know, I think a lot of you flatter me with your comments and thoughts, but nobody dreams bigger for them. You know, as much as you dream of me accomplishing my things, I dream even greater. And so even when I sit in this room in 27 years as the owner of the New York Jets, I plan on doing this little event. And so I'm really, really thankful for you guys to be at the first one of this and uh, I appreciate you guys being here. So, thank you. Um, So, so what I want to do here is a couple things. I want to mix my two great passions, which is wine and business, and so what I think we'll do is, we'll go through this tasting. I'm gonna set it up for you guys in a minute, and then we're gonna open it up. Maybe I'll go through the first two, get us into the wine mindset, and then maybe before the third one, I'll open up for some questions, whether about the wine, whether about the business. Um, and, uh, and let's do that. So, um, uh, let's go into the first wine. So first and foremost, knowing that a lot of you are, are um, at different stages in your wine world from not drinking it pretty much ever to drinking too much of it always. Um, <laughs> the first thing I want to talk about and the first, and the thing that you know, some of you may know, Wine Library TV, the video blog on YouTube in 2006 started the process of probably what's happened to me in my life. The big passion I had in 2006 when I started on this little known platform called YouTube was to get people to taste different wines and to get people to taste wine in a way that would allow them to enjoy it more. And that starts with more than anything what I call the sniffy sniff. So, the number one thing we're going to do, we're going to pick up wine number 1. I'll tell you all wine number 1. I'll tell you all about it in a second, but grab wine number 1. Let's uh let's swirl it. Did we spill some wine already? No, we're good? You okay over there? You good? Don't sit on it. (laughs) Guy's a warrior, he's just gonna sit on the red wine. (laughs) All right, so we're gonna swirl it. Let me tell you why you swirl, for anybody just getting into it. Oxygen is your friend when it comes to wine, both in the glass, in your mouth. The tannins, the bitterness, that so many of you struggle with in red wine, the more air can be exposed, the more that will go away. All the bullshit you see people like me talk about with strawberries and raspberries and tobacco and you're like, fuck, this is just red wine, right? (laughs) All that, all those little flavors, you can actually start tasting once the tannins, the bitterness goes away. And repetition, right, like if you just taste enough, I mean, it's amazing. People are always like, how do I get better at wine tasting? I'm like, best formula ever. Just drink a lot more, <laughs> right? Like, you just gotta taste more to get used to it. In the same way that if you drew up drinking cola the way I did, it's very easy for me to decipher between Pepsi and Coke and store brand. You know, it's all cola to somebody in here that's never had it, but for me, I know it well. And even like bottled water and like things, you know, like it's amazing how quickly the palate, just like working out or anything else, it adjusts. So. The snippy sniff is key. You will taste wine dramatically better if you start smelling it first and letting it kind of prime your palate. So, I want you to sniffy-sniff this. Now, what everybody's gonna do is kind of the cordial nice thing, this and that. This is doing jack shit. I want full nose in glass, like glass is touching your lip and your like eyebrow. Because when you're in here and being polite, you're getting not enough smell. Just even do it right now if you wanna learn a little bit. Like, Smell it like this, like you normally did. Now stick your whole schnoz in there and take a nose. You're gonna be able to smell a lot more. I know, I got a big schnoz too. Some of us got some noses in here, I get it. We're in the East Coast. There's, there's some good noses around here. All right, now, here's what I want you to do. With this first wine, first, just drink it. Just taste this wine. All right? Now, one of the great things about this tasting, I'm sure, and there's a ton of great wines downstairs, but all four of these wines are off the charts. This is the least expensive wine at $75 a bottle. Like, it's all very high quality. So you'll probably, and again, doesn't mean you have to like it or not like it, but these are all high quality wines. Now, because I I, actually, I didn't want to do that. I want you to taste it again, I apologize, but I want to show you something that I think you'll find fascinating. So let's taste it again. Make sure there's a little left. Okay, now, I want everybody to retaste this wine and I want you to treat it like mouthwash. And I mean that. I want you to swirl it in your mouth. I want you to get as much air in it as you can. Some people are scared that it's gonna come out and they're gonna be completely closed mouth. But if you can, tilt that, but I want you to get a little air. But I literally want you to now taste the same wine and see how it tastes different than the first two sips you took. Now, this is gonna be interesting. Remember, I have no horse in this race. I don't give a crap. I didn't make it. How many people liked it the first way better? Raise your hands. How many people liked the wine better the second way? All right, one more time, first way, raise them high, I want everybody to look around. Second way, now you guys know why wine is such a difficult game to recommend. That was literally fucking 50-50. Now, let me tell you why we did that. So, I think that people who liked it the first way, this is what I've learned in the 20 year plus five plus years I've been in this game, people liked it the first way because it was smoother and silkier and easier to drink the first way. People liked it the second way because it was more intense and powerful and had more flavor. So what this usually allows me to do, like if you were a customer of Wine Library through the years, I would give you different wines, you, I would always ask you to give me feedback because very quickly I could map what kind of palette. One more time, hands in the air first way. Second way. So like I already have substantial thoughts on how you're gonna like the next three wines, understanding just that simple point. Here's what's a very important point. I think it's always about hacking wine, meaning you guys go out all the time, you guys live all the time, you, you, you open a wine, you have friends over, things of that nature. The amount of times you've opened a bottle of wine, whether in a restaurant setting or at a home or a friend's home, and you didn't love it, is high. It happens, it's happened to every one of us. I wanna give you tools to make the wine better. For so many, how many people here liked it the second way better and have never really swished like that in their lives? Raise your hands. So that to me is like, that's, that's why well, I love that. Like to me, that's the greatest. The fact that almost the majority of people who liked it better the second way had never done that before. Literally as simple as what I just taught you. Like I kinda actually wanna leave and be like, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> because on a very serious kick, for a lot of you, just that, just that, will change your wine experience 80% of the time now that you drink wine because if you go out, you have something, you don't like it as much, and you just do that kind of for yourself, you're just gonna like it more. And all these dynamics super fascinate me. So anyway, we're gonna do that same thing with wine number two, three, and four. Here's the only homework I want from you. It shouldn't be super hard. I just want you to remember which wine is your favorite. That's all. Not in order, just out of four wines, I don't know how many of you have been drinking heavily downstairs, <laughs> but hopefully everybody can hang here. Of the four wines I just want you to remember, that's the only thing I'm gonna ask for at the end, okay? All right, so wine number one, one excuse me, uh, back to it, <laughs> is, uh, is an Oregon Pinot Noir. You've got the wine in front of you, Domaine Serene. It's a reserve Pinot Noir. The one thing I want you to know about Oregon Pinot Noir is it's very different than California Pinot Noir in that it's not as fruity there's not as much sunshine, and Oregon Pinot Noirs tend to get compared more to Burgundy wines, and so if you're a red Burgundy fan, if you nerd it up that way, you can see that it's, there's less fruit and there's a little more of that soil, a little more of that rock, there's fruit, there's red fruit in that wine, but if you've not liked or liked Pinot, the one thing you wanna remember about Oregon is, A, for most, for a lot of wine connoisseurs and wine enthusiasts, it is the more interesting more premium, more complex uh, American Pinot Noir. And the, it's the, it, out of all the categories, the only place where the consensus is not that California makes the best wine is Pinot Noir from Oregon. And there, if you get really nerdy Pinot Gris, which is Pinot Grigio in Oregon, you can get a little subtle, but this is kind of the one non-California place where it goes down, Oregon Pinot Noir. How many people here, have never had Oregon Pinot Noir before and liked and liked that wine, raise your hand. Cool, to me, that is, the, that is really what we're about, that's what I care about. As a matter of fact, if anything, if you decide after this to run downstairs and taste a little bit more wine, the one thing that bothers me so much about the setting downstairs is, how many, actually, how many people here have had, tasted five or more wines downstairs, raise your hand. Yeah, remember, lying is the devil. Five or more, five or more, good. 10 or more, I love it. 15 or more, 20, 25, 25? Let's clap it up for these two warriors over there. So, since most of you are still in a place where you can drink a couple more, or try a couple more bottles of wine, if nothing else, when we're done here, pictures, high fives, a, go downstairs, try three to four wines of wines you've never had. The biggest issue with wine is you find, a, you know, for the people that just had a lot of wine, everybody's tasting Cabernets or Pinot Noirs or Bordeaux because that's what they like. This is the setting to only taste, you can't afford to buy $20,000 worth of wine to taste every one of these. When you leave here, make sure you go try a champagne or a white wine or a red wine. That's how you find the stuff you like. You never know if cheeseburger isn't your favorite dish if you've never had one. And for some reason, wine, we get into one or two wines and we stick with them and we never try other things. So please take advantage of what's going on downstairs. All right, wine number two. Now, In the early 80s, a very famous winery from California, excuse me, from France, Chateau Mouton Rothschild, went to California and created a wine called Opus One. That started the craze for premium California wine in the world. And it started the craze for wines that were blends, not just Cabernet, not just Merlot, but blends. Wines like Insignia and Dominus and Opus One and things of that nature for people that are into wine here really became the fame of the career I had mid 90s really up to now but the real golden era was probably the mid 90s to the mid 2000s right this wine quintessa came along i think 1993 if i'm right but i can't recall mid 90s around this time kind of an upstart in the red Blaine game this wine we first sold for 29.99 and i was hand selling it because i'm like this is gonna be big this is gonna be big This wine that's in front of you, the 2014 version, is $170 a bottle. So the supply and demand took over, it got big, um, and it's a really interesting wine. I'm excited for you guys to try it. So let's give it a sniffy sniff. Now remember, I'd love for you to kind of do it the old way and now the new way, get the air in there. Uh, What we're gonna do with wine number three is I'm gonna have you smell it straight, don't swirl it, and then I'm gonna have you swirl it because I want you guys to see the difference. Now, I don't know if you guys get this on the nose, but I get a little bit of like a coffee bean component on this nose, which is really interesting. Sometimes when somebody's kind of mentioning certain things, you can start smelling it. Now, I see a lot of you are real alcoholics and have started drinking. <laughs> I appreciate the gusto. Respect, respect. But let's stay, let's stay calm. Let's stay calm. Let's follow along at home here, all right? All right, smell. Everybody's giving a sniffy sniff. Let's give it a whirl. Remember, we're gonna taste it straight first, and then we're gonna whirl. It is nice. Interesting. You know what's interesting about this wine? Um, I often used to reference on Wine Library TV and it's how I think about wine. There's certain wines that I wanna eat. (laughs) Like they feel so meaty and, and thick. Like I, I almost feel like I can chew this wine. I'm like, I'm like trying to bite it. Like I feel like it's very gamey. Interesting. Who likes it the first way best? Raise your hands. Higher, don't be bashful. This is a, your palate, own your palate. All right, second way. Very nice. All right, remembering what you like, remembering what you like. Got it? Wine number three. This wine is a Brunello di Montalcino. This comes from Cerbonina, a very small producer. It's a very different style. Now, real quick, do not whirl it. I want you to sniffy sniff it straight. Just smell it straight. Now, put it down and let's, like put it on the tablecloth like this so you can really feel comfortable and you won't spill on yourself. Really swirl it, really swirl it. And now give it a smell. Anybody feel like it smells different? Subtly though, right? Not too extreme. I would tell you that like, I've done this like 150 times. This is probably one of the smaller differences. What that tells me as a nerd is that this wine's extremely young and still very tight. And and knowing this wine producer and this vintage and this kind of origin, just to give you context, for some of you that have little ones at home, if you fall in love with this wine, if your child was born in 2012, like this wine would easily last to their wedding day and that's me calculating that people are now getting married in their 30s, not 20s. So, so this wine would really last and, and that, what I just did, and the, when you swish the tannins, that bitterness, those are two hardcore indicators of how long a wine would last if you put it in a temperature control environment, okay? All right, let's give it a, let's give it a whirl, let's try it. Remember, drink it straight and then swishy swish. Different style than the last wine. Very. You guys taste how much drier this wine is? Like even gives you a little puckering up kind of thing. Now let's give it a swirl. So this is is the kind of wine that puts hair on men's chest. (laughs) You know, I don't know, you know, I don't know how many of you were weird Jersey kids like me, but like my neighborhood got t- like did a lot of pavement. I grew up in Edison where they were like building a lot. This literally tastes like when I used to put my finger in tar bubbles in the summer. I would lick my finger, you know. But this is this is very 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 like beef jerky, tar, asphalt. Like this is less fruit and more terroir, right? Like earth. How many people like it the first way better? How many people like it the second way better? Yeah, there's a lot of people that don't like this at all. Like, how many people do not like this wine? Raise your hand. This is super powerful stuff. Like, this is, this is, a, this is a very difficult wine to drink by itself. I get it, I mean, it all depends on the palate. For me, for me, it just depends on where you are in your journey, right? So for example, how many cigar smokers in here? Like, this is a killer. Like when you make that combo with this wine, the other two wines are gonna be muted out by the smoke and tobacco. This wine's got balls and will stand up to it and be able to pair with it. So it's just dynamics, right? Like what, to me, what's amazing about wine, much like everything in life, it's circumstantial. It's context, right? If you're having a super serious meal, this is what you want to pair it with. Right? The first wine is a red wine that you can get away with if you're just drinking by itself as an aperitif in a summer with some friends. You're not gonna do that with this wine because it's gonna get everybody tired and it's gonna be too intense. So it's just context. You know, for a lot, uh, there's a lot of you that are into the business stuff. It's how wine taught me a lot about how I thought about media, right? Like you gotta make the right content for the right place to get the result that you want. All three of these wines have their place. To me, the thing is to reverse engineer the palate to understand it because you like it best because you're at that journey as somebody who's tasting 25 wines down there. You're into it, right? You like it and so like what happens is you're looking for more of that power. But this third wine did not have the delicious factor that the second wine had. So if it was somebody that I knew was more in the beginning stages like the delicious factor, the fruit in wine number two, I knew would go over super well and so that's what you're trying to navigate. Cool? Wine number four. This wine is $250 a bottle. And I'm saying that because I'm trying to trick you into thinking it's good. <laughs> and I mean that, it's super interesting. One of the reasons that I, if you were part of my wine tasting group, we only taste wine out of brown paper bags and we never know what it is because when you know the value of something or if you know what it is, it's already changed the perception of what you're tasting. Like, just to remind everybody, it's still all high school. Everybody's just following the leader. It never changes. It's just the same game over and over. And so. But what's interesting about this wine is this is a Bordeaux from Chateau Montrose, one of the best producers. The 1983 version of this wine is probably the wine, so I'll tell you another quick little story because we're going quick here and we got a lot of time. Um, I don't know how many of you have dined in New York, live in New York, um, but um, there was a restaurant in New York for a long time called Veritas and it was a really special place because it was one of the first super wine programs in Manhattan. There were some great wine restaurants, obviously it's Manhattan, but this place came out guns a-blazing because it took two of the biggest wine collectors in America, teamed up with their sellers, and they launched this restaurant, and they were sitting on stuff that they bought on a nickel on the dollar because wine had gone up quite a bit in the 2000s, so they were sitting on, the 1983 version of this wine was available for $9 a bottle. This is 250, got it? So, just to give you context. Anyway, so it opened up, it was co-owned by a guy by the name of Steve Verlin, who unfortunately five or six or maybe maybe seven or eight years ago passed away. Really special guy. Such an amazing man. Walked into Wine Library the first time in combat boots and a Grateful Dead jean jacket dragging mud throughout the store. One of my stock guys asked me if, if they should keep an eye on him, AKA, do we think he's gonna steal? And then 45 minutes later, and this is not a joke, dropped the single biggest purchase order in our store. We've done more online, but spent $47,000 buying out everything I had. I was like a little kid, like literally a little kid, hoarding all these wines for like seven, eight years for my great, I'm gonna rebrand shoppers discount liquors into Wine Library, and this dude rolled into the store and bought everything I had that was good. It was insane, became a dear friend of mine, real mentor, invited me over to his home in Watchung, New Jersey, and I came over and I got down to the basement and every single first growth, Chateau Lafitte, Margot, you know, Petrus, the greatest wines in the world, opened on a table from my birth year. He subtly slipped in and asked me how old I was when we met and he had every 1975 open of the greatest wines in the world. Became an incredibly generous friend. I drank the greatest wines of my life. Came back a month later. We drank 1947 Cheval Blanc, 1970 Vega Sicilia. Like the greatest wines I've ever had in my life to this day for the way that I've lived my life and all the growing up in the business and building one of the biggest companies, living my fancy lifestyle now and going to interesting dinners. The greatest wines I drank in my life happened between 23 and 25, which in a lot of ways was a waste because I wasn't contextually there yet. But 83 Montrose I had in his house. I tasted it, I thought it was incredible. It was not a fancy wine, 1982 is the fancy year in Bordeaux. But I thought it was incredible and later over the next five 10 years the 83 Montrose got put on a pedestal as this sneaky wine from 1983 and really validated for me to never do the high school thing which is why I encourage you to raise your hand. Like your palate is your palate. Nobody's bashful if they like rice or, or sushi, nobody apologizes for ordering their steak the way they do, but with wine we're always so cautious. And I have a real mission and passion to make wine comfortable for you to own it. Anyway, great great producer, I'm excited for you guys to try it. Let's give it a sniffy sniff. Powerful nose, right? Let's swirl it. Yeah, big nose. A lot more flavor on the nose, right? rose petal, mm. strawberry, almost like a sourness on the nose. Sour cherry. All right, let's drink it straight. It's, it's interesting, right? Like the fruit, the nose, on, the nose seems very fruity, yeah. but the wine is quite rugged, yeah. right? Not as fruity as it smells. Good first lesson for a lot of you, this is a classic Bordeaux trait. Bordeaux on the bouquet has similarities to California, on the palate does not. It's less fruity and more kind of nuanced. And and I think one common thing you hear is people get into California wine, they drink it, they drink it, they drink it 10, 15 years, and if you become passionate about wine, then you start gravitating, Americans especially, to European wines, and here's the reason. A lot of the wines that you like, even the reason you like the Quintessa is fruit. If you eat dessert every meal, eventually you're gonna get fatigued and you're gonna start looking for savory. That is the cliche 10 year flight of a lot of people's palates. Whereas for a lot of people that are in earlier journey, wine number two is gonna dominate and then as you really get there and you're just tasting and tasting, you get fatigued from a lot of fruit. It starts tasting the same I used to call it on the show, makeup. All the wines start tasting the same because there's just so much fruit, it's masking the subtleties. Wine number three and four, as you can see, for a lot of you right now, it doesn't taste good, but I think when I tell you there's a lot of things going on there, that would make sense to you. It just all tastes bitter right now, right? All right, let's swirl it. Bab and Alex, you've never seen this version of me. You're like, what is this? You're like, where's the word attention? (laughs) (laughs) Who likes it the first way better? Second, super interesting. If you look at the patterns, right? When you think about the bitterness, and I would tell you the reason I thought even more would like it the first way, the thing that stands out to me the second way is it got hot and I could taste the alcohol. Did you guys notice that? And so that tells me that it's still disjointed and it makes a lot of sense to me why this is a wine that is built to actually be drank 40 40 years from today. And more importantly, the way for that alcohol to blow off. If you ever have, and I'm gonna give you the things that will, if you, it's interesting to you, are things that you can take away and use consistently. One, You've clearly seen how different a wine can taste if you drink it straight or if you let it taste a lot of part of your taste buds. Two, this last wine. The best way to blow off the alcohol or some of the disjointiness is the reason why people have decanters. So let's say you had three bottles of this and you had this and the alcohol bothered you. The thing you would do with the second bottle is you would pour it in the morning before you go to work or if it's on a Saturday where people probably have better wines, you just pour in the morning in a decanter. If you don't have a decanter, the next best thing is to just open it and let it breathe out of the bottle, but way better if you have a decanter. And you let it sit there literally from 9 a.m. until 9 p.m. The oxygen will continue to break out, the alcohol will blow off and things of that nature. So there's so much more hacking that goes into wine drinking than people realize, and that's important because a lot of you are in places where you, you're, either ha- you're drinking wine cordially, or you bought a nice bottle of wine for a celebration, and you don't love it, there's a lot of ways to fix it. And I think that's the biggest thing that I wanted to get out of this. Cool? All right, the important part. A lot of you still have most of your wine in front of you, which is awesome. Some of you are even lucky that there's an empty seat by you, so feel free to like <laughs> attack the wine. But what I want you to do now, and feel free, I'm gonna do the same, to retaste the wines, or if you want, we need to get to your favorite wine, got it? All right, let's get, let's spend a few seconds. (laughs) Bless you. Here we go. Here we go. Wine number one. Now, before we raise hands, I got you. Before we raise hands, please, 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 nobody's palate is better. I know there's always one alpha person usually at the table that seems like they know more about wine and they're subtly seducing you into voting for theirs. I've been watching you. I see you. So one more time before we vote. Own it. It's important. Here we go. Who liked wine number one the best? Raise your hands. Hold on. One, two, three, four, five. You can only vote once. 16. Cool. Sixteen. Got it? Got it. Wine number two. Yeah. One, two. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Keep them up, keep them up. I'm not even close. Nine. Got it, thank you. 22. Line number three. Raise them high. Nine, thank you. Wine number four. Six. Six, cool. Okay, I think it's uh, I think it's obvious why number two came in first place. Yeah. Follow close. <laughs> Feels good. Why? Wine, wine number one came in second, and what were the last two numbers? Three. Got it. So two, one, three, four. Cool. Thank you, guys. What's your vote? I think for me, you know, it's, what's that? Honestly, honestly honestly for me, it's interesting. You know, I think like I'm sure for all of you that do what you do for a living, you're looking at it from a different lens. So for me right now where my palate is, probably wine number one. Yeah. Yeah, just only because I'm in a funny place right now where I'm really more interested in lighter, more delicate wines that are just like, just more delicate. Like light, like delicate is interesting to me. I went through a long chapter of drinking wine where it was all about power, really masculine. And right now I'm in a little bit more of the, the delicate, subtle flavors. And for me, I know why a lot of people voted for number one from the drinkability and the ease of it. For me, it was the unbelievable threading of the needle that the wine has on the mid palate between white and red flower subtleties. I know that's super nerdy, and I don't know if like, but like to me that caught my attention. I'm like wow, that's a super difficult thing to do. It means that they treated the grapes so delicately that when they crushed it, the skins, did, like the skin has, if you, you want to get really nerdy, if you have a grape, a home grape, like if you skim around the skin and just eat the grape, it's sweet. It's the skin that gives it the bitterness. To do what wine number one did, they must have they whole clustered it, which means they took the whole thing when they grinded it, and they must have picked such high quality fruit that the skins really didn't like attack the middle. So actually, take any wine right now. Let me teach you about the initial attack, the mid-palate, and the finish. The thing that almost nobody ever talks about is the mid-palate. This is gonna be super like, you'll be like, yeah, yeah, but you won't, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) But I want you to taste the wine and I want you to try your best, whichever wine you've got in front of you, try your best to think of it as in three steps. Like boom, 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 right? The first and third's gonna be easy. What's the first thing you're tasting? What's the last thing you're tasting? The thing that develops over time that became super neat to me is that I genuinely, genuinely taste different things in the middle. And again, I would say repetition, it being your entire life, you know, it's what I did for my entire life. It's all I cared about in the world. Like, like you guys, a lot of you know me at this point. Like think about 22 to 35 me caring only about this and the New York Jets, right? Like that's it. So, so I need you to like really, really, really try. It might be fun for you. Let's just taste it, see if you can, you'll definitely be able to probably quickly see, like the first thing you taste, and the way it finishes. But to me, the thing I paid most attention to is the mid-palate. Which one? One? It doesn't matter. And, and whether you taste anything or not now, if you're actually into wine, you're drinking a bottle of wine or two a week or more. A night, a night. <laughs> That will be a super interesting thing to develop. So for me, wine number one on a very nerdy thing, which is the mid palette, is super difficult to pull off, and I'm impressed. And it really is more reminiscent of a lot of burgundies that taste and are costing $300 a bottle than this $60, $70 effort from Oregon. So I think it's the best value, not because it's the lowest price, but because it's reminiscent of wines three times its price, which I think is intriguing. Fun? Yes. Cool. All right. Feel free to start sipping your wines and things of that nature. Why don't we segue into some Q and A? Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. Little right hook here for all the people that like the juice. Uh, WineLibrary.com. Uh, check out WineLibrary.com and go scroll down and see the Gary V Wine Club. I should probably create a Gary Vee. I actually think I have that. com slash The Wine Club. Check out if that works. Hit me up on Twitter, guys. Let me know. Anyway, The Wine Club, $55 a month and that is a delivered price no shipping cost $55 a month you get one, two, three or four bottles uh, in your package I record a audio and video version of me tasting through the wines so if you are even considering drinking wine or you buy wine in any shape or form uh, I will be devastated if you're not part of my wine club uh, garyvee.com slash the wine club or winelibrary.com scroll down and click the Gary V Wine Club 55 double nick each month, and I'm delivering at least $100, $150, even $200 worth of wine each month. Value. Seth is impressed right now while he's recording me. You haven't signed up for the wine club yet. I or I'm going to, Babin? to my girlfriend or I? You're not t- <laughs> you what are you dissing him for? <laughs> Keep this all for the podcast pe- Podcast peeps. Both of my homies here, Tyler, Babin, and Seth, they, you know, who I thought were brothers and young brothers and family, neither of them are part of the wine club. My disappointment continues to grow.